every Mother's Day, we get the chance to reach out to moms everywhere and say thank you. Thank you for your love and support. Thank you for your selfless acts that you never fail to give. Thank you for the incredible example that you set for your children. Thank you for all the things you've done for us, from making meals to bandaging, scraped knees, and so on. We recognize this day out of the calendar year to give special recognition for the needed yet challenging job of being a mother. Today, Mother's Day 2020 should have these same reflections, but in these circumstances, our things from mothers should be a little different than normal. Since the social distancing and quarantine orders were released, mothers have taken on the tasks of many different jobs on top of their normal work of being a mom, a wife, a daughter, employee, and a friend. They've taken on the roles of lunch lady, teacher, tutor, home remodeler, master chef, and sanitation worker, just to name a few. Sometimes these jobs are part of the normal routine, but the environment the moms have to do these in at this point is far from normal. This year, mothers have had to take good care of themselves and their family with extra care and delicacy in order to avoid COVID-19. They've made rounds check up on their children and loved ones, making sure they are safe, healthy, and have all their needs. Staying home has caused many moms their jobs, making it hard to provide for their families, those that got to keep their jobs now have to learn to work from home in a very different environment than they are used to. These extra balls that mothers have taken on barely scratch the surface of all they've done for us. We'll never be able to repay all the things our mom have done in the past, present, or future. So take this day to make extra special efforts to thank your mom. Give her some flowers, make her favorite dessert, clean the house for her, cook a meal for her, favor her with gifts, love, and gratitude, and let her have this day to rest. We take this day to recognize you moms. We take this day to say thank you. Your work does not go unnoticed, especially during these times. You are appreciated and loved. You deserve so much praise and recognition. You are a blessing to us all. Thank you, Mommy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mama. Happy Mother's Day! Good morning. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. I hope you enjoyed those couple videos. Uh, the, the second one was, was one that uh, uh, the family put together. I wasn't even here for that, and so uh, they did a, a great job with that. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on Mother's Day. I do realize it is a different kind of Mother's Day. We're going to have to be a little more creative uh, to do some special things with our moms today. won't be like normal, but I'm still excited for the day. I hope that you are as well. Uh, last year, I shared with you guys that I'm going to try to remember each year to share this little survey with you. It's called the Mother's Day Index. And so um, this year, the, the survey's done every year actually, to, to find out what is a mom's job worth financially. If they were to be reimbursed approximately for all the tasks that they perform, what would their value be? And moms, 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 I have some great, great news for you this year. Your worth has increased to an all-time high. It is an incredible one. Um, in addition to the laundry list, yes, pun intended, to all the jobs that were listed last year, there are four new additional jobs this year, all of which raises your salary from last year's measly $71,297 to this year's new high of $93,900 and $20, a 
32% increase this year. That is phenomenal. Well done, moms. It's incredible. That 32% raise, uh, that would be awesome. It seems like your private eye skills, your counseling abilities, and your ninja-like laundry skills this year each were worthy of a 14% raise. My favorite new job of the year is you have officially been granted the title of judge. It's a phenomenal role. You've always had it, but now with the kids home 24-7, you have a lot more work to do in the judiciary. And the best part about that job is, on average, they earn about $44 an hour. So that's a pretty incredible thing as well. Now, of course, we also have taken into consideration your new role at home being the full-time teacher. You've always been a part-time aide, if you will, but now you're officially the full-time elementary, middle school, maybe even high school, preschool teacher at home. And so that is factored into that. But here is the most amazing part of the entire survey. Moms, you are able to accomplish all of these tasks in only 180 hours a week. That is amazing considering God only gave us 168 hours in the course of an actual seven-day period, which means, moms, forget all about the 10 to 12-hour work shifts, not for you. No, moms, you only work 25.6 hours per day. That's all. 25.6 hours per day. So uh, I'm guessing probably lately some of you have probably felt like you were working 25.6 hours a day. Um, But parents, overall, here's the thing uh, that I want to share with you. And I shared this with a group on Tuesday night. I've shared this with my family a few times. But um, the reality is this. Um, Over the course of our quarantine that we're in, this is something that we need to consider. As restrictions are lifted and things go back to whatever your family wants to be normal moving forward, I want you to remember that you're in control of your schedules and how you fill them moving forward. I also, if you haven't taken the time yet before this is over, take a moment and reflect on this time that you're spending together as a family. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Parents, kids, never again Will we likely ever be able to spend this type of uninterrupted, only us, no schedules, time together continuously? It'll, it'll probably never happen ever again in our lives. It has been a life-changing, relationship-changing, lifelong memory-making event for your family. In 30 years, you'll be sitting around the Thanksgiving dinner table and your kids will be talking about things like remember that one time during corona that will happen think about that so mothers today's a day that's been set aside to honor and appreciate you hopefully we do a fair job of honoring and appreciating you each and every day of our lives and as the body of christ we want to do that today however god knows that this is a difficult day for many of you, both those of you who are mothers and fathers, men and women alike can struggle with this day. And there are a variety of reasons why that might happen. So if you find yourself struggling today, please remember the love that God has for you. He will never forsake you. His love is not conditional. You can be adopted into his family at any time. All you must do is accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So happy Mother's Day, 
Moms, thank you for loving us and for caring us, for caring for us. You truly have an incredible opportunity to show the love of God in a unique way, starting with your kids and your spouse and your immediate family, and then branching out, obviously, across the street to your neighbors, and who knows where else you get to share that motherly love with others. Let's pray for all the moms and families today. Father God, as we enter into this day of, of celebrating our moms. Uh, it can be a difficult day for many. And for those that, that struggle today, I pray that your peace and, and, and grace just fills them. I, I pray that they can ex- experience and feel your love in their lives today, maybe for the first time ever. And Father, for those of us that are fortunate enough to be with our moms today, I, I pray that we enjoy this day with them, that we celebrate all that they have meant to us, that we truly show them the love uh, that they deserve. Father, we love you, and we thank you for being our Heavenly Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So take a moment right now, wherever you are, and uh, give your moms a big hug um, if you're with them. Um, if you're not, if you're watching, you know you could send them a text or something like that while you're uh, part of the service this morning. Um, and then uh, we'll be right back out of here in a moment. All right, so uh, a lot of folks have been asking, and so first I want to thank all of you that were able to tune in on Monday night. I know we had a few technical glitches. They were kind of humorous, actually, Um, but uh, it it all worked out great. We had a great number of people uh, a part of that. We had a great number of you watch afterwards just to see what all was discussed, and I, I can't thank you enough for that. Many of you filled out uh, that brief survey that we sent out as well, and so we're gracious for your input on those questions, and we've definitely taken all of that into consideration. The conversation we had, uh, the governor's um, plan, if you will, that he set out for the state, and I think that God has given us a, a great, great plan moving forward. And so today, we get to share with you our initial plan for what we would like to do moving forward. Now, keep in mind, these are our initial plans. This is absolutely what we're going to do unless something arises in the meantime. Some things that we took into consideration, big things that we took into consideration. One of them is we want all of our people, everybody, to be able to gather together whenever we come back. And I know we have many people in our church, as do many churches, that have different health risks. They are at a higher risk, in a higher risk category, if you will, for this disease. And we respect that. And we want them to be a part of our church family the moment that we can meet again. And so hopefully some of these accommodations and things we're doing will allow uh, virtually everyone to be back that first Sunday that we gather together. Uh, The second thing that we considered was we we really wanted to to take some time. Uh, We know a lot of churches are probably going to begin meeting probably a, a week or two before us. And that's fine. We want to be extra cautious. We want to have some time to see what happens in culture around us, in our society, in our community around us, and see how things play out. So this gives us a little bit of a bumper room, a little bit of breathing space, if you will, that if we need to change things, we can, but hopefully we won't have to because we've set a great date that should work for everyone. So here is the plan. You should see it on your screen right now. The first Sunday together is going to be Sunday, May 31st at 10 a.m. And we're all going to be together. Let me explain how. We are praying for God to give us an incredible morning that morning, and we want to meet outside. We'll set up a simple little stage, if you will, underneath the uh, shelter house there. And then uh, you, just bring your most comfortable uh, lawn chairs. We'll we'll have some church chairs there as well. But I I personally, I would bring my bag chair from home, um, and and we can spread out all over the grassy area there. Uh, Social distancing, not an issue. We're outside. Supposedly the sun's good for you too. And 
so we're just praying that God gives us a beautiful, beautiful morning to meet at 10 a.m. on that first Sunday together, Sunday, May 31st. If for some reason uh, God does not allow us that moment, there's a reason uh, because of the weather. And if the weather is an issue, we'll just meet in the way we're meeting right now. And so nothing will change if that's the case. And so Sunday, May 31st will be our first date back together on campus, but not in building yet. Um, Just gathering as families spread out uh, all over the grass, plenty of room out there for us to uh, to meet and be safe um, in, in that first gathering together. And watch, if, if uh, society moves along quickly here, there may be some other plans around that, but we have to wait and see for that moment uh, a little bit later on. So just, just watch your emails, watch for videos, watch for a letter in the mail, all of those kinds of things to let you know. Our second Sunday together uh, will be the next Sunday, June 7th, which also happens to be my wife's birthday. Um, we are going to meet on June 7th. That will be our first time back in the building. We're only going to have one service at 10 a.m. Again, uh, we're going to, depending on what society is required at that point in time, we may be maneuvering some chairs and doing some different things in the room. But I want to tell you about one very special accommodation we're making. I mentioned earlier, we have many high-risk people in our church. If you didn't know, I am one of those high-risk people. I had a kidney transplant about two and a half years ago now. So I take immunosuppressant medications, which means I am in that high-risk category as well. And so what we're going to do is we are going to set up a separate special entrance for anyone that fits into that high-risk category. Uh, They are going to have their own special room. We can easily fit um, 15, 20 people in there or more, a few more than that uh, if need be, um, and still have a good distance. But again, those people will all be people that have taken this serious the whole time and have social distanced very well and uh, have have stayed home and, and stayed away from the disease. So they shouldn't be putting each other at risk, but they'll have their own entrance into the building, that back classroom, they'll have a live feed of the service, but they can still be a part of things if they want to come and gather and just not be exposed to the masses, if you will, of everybody else on a Sunday morning. And so we wanna make that accommodation for those specific people. Um, one thing we will ask as we get closer to that date is we'll, we'll ask if that is you, um, please let us know so we can know how many people to expect gathering in that room. So if we've got to create an overflow in the secondary room right there, we can figure out a way to do that. Um, so we're excited about uh, getting back together. It'll, it'll be here before we know it. Uh, the month of May is here. We're already two Sundays in. It's going to fly by. So Sunday, May 31st, we're going to meet outside. Um, bring your bag chairs. Pray. Start praying with us right now. We have a beautiful day that day. And that society as a whole, our community, that the disease does not uh, spread um, like some are predicting it will and some are predicting it won't. And so who knows? That's why we got a little time here to see what happens. And then Sunday, June 7th, we'll be back in the building together. All right, so that's the plan as of right now. It could change, obviously. If, if, if things mandate that we alter that plan, we absolutely will. We won't hesitate. But we're praying that that's a good, safe time for us to begin back together as a group. All right, so today's word from James. Today's word from James, mostly from James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Uh, kind of sounds like something your mom would say doesn't it? Now, I don't know about you, but did your mama ever tell you to watch your mouth? (laughs) Pretty sure mine said something like that. Maybe once or twice or daily. I mean, it could have happened. It is is possible. Um, The rest of the book of James is written around a central theme, that of the evidence of a genuine faith in our lives. It seems like those in the early church were having a bit of a credibility crisis. They weren't living out their faith for whatever reason. They claimed the name of Jesus, but there was no evidence in their life that they were genuine 
followers. Now, of course, that would never happen in our culture today, right? No, just as big of an issue in the church today as it was in the time of James. In fact, our culture loves to call us hypocrites because we don't live out our faith the way that we profess it. Now, as we begin these discussions, please understand James is never talking about perfection. James is a sinner saved by grace, and he absolutely knows that. He's talking about effort. Are we trying? God-honoring effort. Are we becoming more and more like Jesus? Are we living in his ways? Have we died to ourselves, put our selfish desires ahead, and are we putting others first? Is this lived out in our life? Last week, James talked to us about temptation. We got to stop blaming God. We got to stop blaming other things, other people, other events for our sin. We have to take responsibility for our sin and understand that it is our evil desires that are pushing us in that direction. If if you haven't, uh, if you didn't get a chance to, to join us last week to be a part of that, please go back and check out James's words on temptation. It is a big deal. We got to quit making excuses for our behaviors. We have to turn to God for help. He alone provides the way out of our situations that we get ourselves into and can free us from the bonds of sin and guilt and shame. This change of attitude will allow God to speak directly to us in our lives. It will allow him to see uh, us, to see him more clearly represented in our lives, and it will allow God to use us in even greater ways to seek and save the lost. It's a big deal. For this, for James's sake, the reality is this. The stakes are too high. We have <clears throat> to make the best case for Jesus that we possibly can as we live our lives. We have to represent him in every possible way. And in order for Jesus, for others to see Jesus in us, there has to be evidence, genuine evidence, something for them to see. Remember, James's mission, James's drive, James's passion comes from a personal devotion to Jesus. Jesus, his very own half-brother who he spent most of his life never even believing in. He was given another chance by Jesus. Jesus came to him. Jesus showed his love and forgiveness directly to him. He expressed this love in such a personal way that it changed his life forever. And he got this new life in Christ and become this tremendous leader within the church. He was forgiven. And James cannot understand. He cannot fathom. He cannot dream of an existence that, that anyone could have where they could experience the love of Jesus. They could come to an understanding and realize everything that Jesus did for them and then live their life as if absolutely none of it matters. This was not an option for James, nor should it be for you and I. So as we dive into James's words, there have been those throughout these, these next few weeks as we study that claim that James is making a case for what's called works-based salvation, meaning that your and I's actions in this life determine whether or not we are saved. That salvation is completely based on how much good we do or don't do for God. Now let me first begin with this reality. That is the basis of salvation for many, if not all, of the other religions across the world. They believe that you must do this much good and at the end of your life, a God might choose to save you because you did enough good. Now, of course, they might also choose not to save you. There's no way of ever knowing in this lifetime whether or not you've done enough good to please that God. It's not possible. Thus, it is a false religion that is not at all in any way 
what James is presenting. He is in no way making a case that our works save us. As a matter of fact, in verses that we spoke of last week, verses 17 and 18 of chapter 1, he clearly points out that every good and perfect gift is from above. He does not change like the shifting shadows. There is no uncertainty about him. There is no uncertainty about salvation. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be the first fruits of all that he created. James defines God as the giver of salvation, of grace, of mercy, of all good and perfect gifts in this life, of the regeneration by the Spirit of God. It's only made possible through God. Then he goes on to tell us of salvation's origins, of salvation's operation and its outcome. God chose his work, not ours is what saves us. We can only be reborn through the word of truth so that we might become the first fruits of all that he created. Do you hear anything that's as a result of our work in any of that? We must only choose God in this equation. So today's message ties in three texts from John. You'll find that we repeat these texts multiple times throughout the study because James continually puts things in chapter one and then he elaborates, he expands on them later on in his letter. And so we'll begin in James 1, beginning in verse 19. We'll skip down to verse 26 and then we'll spend most of our time in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. All of these passages relate to the tongue. So here we go. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Remember, James wants us to represent Christ for our lives, to reflect Jesus to anyone who is watching or listening. Consistency consistency in our lives in two ways, in our talk and in our walk. We are to present to the world a true picture of Christ. If that's the case, we can't rely on just knowing him. That's not enough. We must be consistent in our talk and in our walk, who we really are. James 1, 19 through 21 reveals to us the importance of what we say and how well we listen. He is sharing with us the importance of being perceptive, of listening closely. And remember, Jesus would often begin his teachings with the words, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, what does this mean? Well, obviously, most people have ears and can hear. Now, there are the exceptions, those born without ears or those that lose their hearing throughout life at some point in time. But for the most part, we can all hear in some way, shape, or form. So what on earth is he talking about? Well, Jesus is saying, hey, everybody, listen closely. Listen deeply. Listen with a heart, a mind to understand what I am teaching. If you think about Jesus' teachings, how often did Jesus finish his teaching and then say, okay, everybody, what questions do you have? What feedback do you have for me? You're right, almost never. Every once in a while, he would do that with the disciples after a deep teaching. He would say, hey, do you understand what I just said? Now, that should reveal something about what Jesus was asking people to do and how he was asking them to listen. Compare that to our, our culture. Anytime anybody says anything, especially people of influence or, or power, if you will, it is a race to see who can open their mouth first to share their opinion on whatever 
was said. Now, here's the thing. Um, their opinion doesn't have to be well stated. It doesn't have to be well thought out in any way, shape, or form. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even have to be truthful. In reality, it doesn't even have to have anything at all to do with what the person they're talking about said. That's the reality in which we live. All they want to do is see how fast they can get their opinion out there so that others can respond without thinking as well. That is our culture, and that is not the way of a Christ follower. We are to be slow to speak, slow to become angry. It does. It seems like we live in a world where everybody is on edge all of the time, almost like people are just waiting around, waiting to get ticked off for some reason. We don't listen closely to what people say. We rush to be offended by what we think they are saying. Quite the opposite direction of James's prescription. How often does our anger produce anything good? Think about your life, your interaction with your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, and others. Understand James is not saying we should not get angry. That's not what he's saying at all. He says we should be slow to anger. Slow to anger. In your relationships, how is losing your temper ever rushing to anger, how has that ever brought about anything good in that relationship? We all know, of course, it doesn't. It only produces the bad. But did you realize that James' instructions are a direct way in which we could respond to things just like our Heavenly Father, who is compassionate and a gracious God, who is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness? That's Psalm 86, 15. That exact same characteristic of God is echoed in Exodus 34, verse 6, in Numbers 14, 18, in Nehemiah 9, 31, and in Joel 2, 13. That is how God is described. Our God is slow to anger. Now, I don't know about you, but I, for one, am thoroughly grateful and thankful that our God is so slow to anger. So when you hear this verse, this next verse of James's, therefore, Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. What comes to mind when you hear that verse? And did you ever realize that those two things were so closely related? First, we must get rid of the filth that comes from our mouth so that we can then humbly accept the word of God planted in us. If we don't get rid of that moral filth, then the word of God will not grow roots in us. It will not grow deeper. Our spiritual growth is limited. Our spiritual maturity is stalled. I ask you, is one's language a sign of maturity? Which is easier to say. The first thing that comes to your mind, however vile or foul it might be, or to well consider, think about your words before you speak. Carefully consider the words that come out of our mouths. This is a real issue. For believers, because it affects our witness. As we will learn here in a few moments, our words have the power to destroy others. What do your words do? Do your words lead people closer to God? Are they seasoned with salt and grace? When people hear you and talk with you, do they want to hear more or are they turned off? Are they offended or worse yet, are they left to ask the question and wonder, I thought that person was a Christian. So many believers, when challenged about their language, will contend that it doesn't really matter what they say or, or how they talk about others. They're simply trying to, to fit in or they're trying to speak in a way that doesn't offend other people so that they feel comfortable around them. How do we reconcile those thoughts, that mentality, with our call to be holy, to be set apart, to be different 
from everyone else in the world to shine like that city on a hill. God calls us to have control over our tongue. James says it so well, James 1.26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Now, I know in our culture, religion, the word religion has got a very bad name. Do you know why? One of the main reasons for this bad name for religion is exactly because of what James is teaching on, what James is sharing with us throughout this entire letter. People who claim to be religious, and yet there's absolutely no evidence for their faith. Worse yet, oftentimes these religious people find themselves doing things that are even evil in the eyes of a world that doesn't believe in evil. It's a crazy thing. Our mouths are just one such example. How can we claim the love of Jesus in us? and yet hate our brothers and sisters? How can we claim the names, the teachings of Jesus to be true, the commands of Jesus to be binding upon our hearts, and yet completely ignore the ones that just don't fit in with the lifestyle that you and I choose to live? Why is this focus on our speech, on our tongue? Why is it so important? Well, if you go all the way back to your childhood, there was an old saying that kids will often quote. Go ahead, say it with me, if you will. It is this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Now, I know there's never been a greater lie told in all of humanity. We all know that uh, the words hurt deeply, as a matter of fact. Most of us have learned that bones, in fact, when they are broken, uh, when they heal, they heal stronger in the place where they were broken than they were before. Whereas words, well, words can destroy a person. They can ruin a career. They can ruin a reputation. They can ruin a relationship. And that's even if they're all lies. They don't even have to be true words that were spoken for those things to happen. Words, things people have said to us can come back and haunt us throughout our entire lives if we allow them. The tongue has tremendous power for good and for evil in this world. The story is told of a young lady who once came up to John Wesley and said, I think I know what my talent is that God has given me. (laughs) Mr. Wesley said, well, tell me, what is it? She said, well, I believe my talent is to speak my mind. (laughs) John Wesley said, I can only imagine the look on his face. Uh, I do not think that God would mind for a moment if you were to take that talent and bury it. (laughs) Faith and words. Our words reveal what is actually hidden in our heart. James takes up 12 verses right in the middle of his letter to reinforce the teaching he mentioned in chapter 1 on the tongue. It's a big deal. Now, before you're, you, you don't really believe this and, and you're just going to do whatever you want, I just want you to hear one more set of words that aren't James's. Before you think that your words really don't matter much in the overall scheme of life, let me just share with you briefly what Jesus taught about our speech. Matthew 12, verse 36 and 37. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. You see, words words have meaning. In this passage, James makes three statements about our tongue, and then he gives two two illustrations for each of those statements. Let's start with the first. James 3, beginning in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. 
We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. You see, controlled speech is directive. Controlled speech, like the bridle on a horse or the rudder on a ship, is directive. It sets the course and gives us direction in life. A horse left to its own self would accomplish nothing for anyone, but under the bridle, under its master's control, it can be used for tremendous purposes. Controlled speech is helpful. It's encouraging. It's even loving. Even when correcting someone, when the speech used for the correction is controlled, it is so much more useful and can even be effective to help them learn. Our tongue is incredibly powerful. And it can be used for good, believe it or not, in this world. As a matter of fact, our tongue was created for good. Think about that. Think about God, what he created our tongue for. I'm going to let you dream and imagine what that was. Hopefully you can remember back to creation and understand what the tongue was actually designed for, to praise our Lord and Savior, to show love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's its purpose. Likewise, the tongue, verse 5, is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of birds, animals, reptiles, and sea creatures are tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You see, careless speech is destructive. The tongue, a small part of the body, maybe two to three inches max, uh, two to three pounds max, sorry, maybe a total of three inches long, but it has the potential for enormous destruction and evil. Some of us have been the victim of that. Whereas controlled speech is directive, careless speech is destructive. James illustrates the point with fire and with poison to support his case. Like a serpent's poison, the venom of an untamed tongue can kill reputations, careers, relationships that have been years in the making. It can destroy a person inside, even mentally and even physically, the way they view themselves. Like a small spark, the tongue can set a person's entire life ablaze. Both someone they're speaking of and if we misspeak, our own lives can be destroyed by our own tongue. Careless speech is incredibly destructive. Finally, the last point he makes is that confusing speech. Confusing speech is deceptive. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grape vine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. It makes no sense. It is deceptive. It is confusing. James describes a man who praises the Lord for all he has done for him and then in the next breath curses 
his neighbor. In doing this, the man is deceiving himself. Confusing speech is deceptive. And according to James 3.10, this should not be. I can only imagine the passion in his voice behind this. When you consider these things that James is talking about, one of the things I want to remind you of is that James did not believe in Jesus for most of his life. Can you imagine the things that came out of James's mouth behind Jesus's back talking about Jesus this whole time while he did not believe in Jesus? James has lived this existence and he knows all of these things to be true. Jesus's words were controlled. It was directive. It was instructive and yet people did not follow including James. Careless speech is destructive. What James was saying behind the scenes to undercut his brother and his ministry was destroying the witness of Jesus in so many people's lives, he knows what this is about. And this confusing speech, those that were offering things that just didn't make sense. James is speaking from a position where he knows. He is now a man who praises the Lord. And yet he was a man who completely discounted everything Jesus was saying. In doing so, a man is deceiving themselves. Confusing speech is deceptive. We ask when asked about the words that we should speak as Christians, I think James has made it pretty pretty clear for us. We have to be consistent. We have to bring glory and honor to our Creator and to our Savior. We cannot praise the Lord out of one side of our mouth while cursing our neighbors with the other. His illustration of fresh and salt water is absolutely perfect. It reveals who we truly are. The fresh water representing the words of Christ, the words of love that flow out of our heart, out of our minds, and out of our lives to other people. The salt water, of course, representing the cursing, the negative negativity that comes out of us toward our neighbors. If these two waters, if these two waters are combined, what do you have? Do you have a stream of fresh water flowing right beside a stream of salt water? Of course not. That's actually completely impossible. What always takes over? The salt water. The water will always become salty. You only have salt water. The salt overtakes the fresh water every time. The two cannot coexist, nor is that possible with our tongue. We, when we praise, this praise then is completely deemed as fake in the eyes of our Lord and in the eyes of our world in the presence of the cursing. The truth is revealed about who we truly are. And that is what flows from our tongue. So here's the reality. If the tongue has been your downfall in life, whether it be cursing as it's speaking here, but it could also be gossip, it could also be slander, it could be so many different things. If that has been our downfall, if it continues to get you in trouble, if it continues to cause conflict within your relationships, if it is a barrier, it is keeping you from growing closer to Christ as James suggested earlier, then today is the day to offer up your tongue, your words to Christ, to ask the Holy Spirit to take control of your tongue. Mankind, we really have done some incredible things. God has given us the intelligence to create and to dream and to imagine, and we've used that intelligence to do just incredible things in this lifetime. The ingenuity that we have created is, is amazing, and that comes from our God-given creative abilities. He is a creator, and that's one of the things we've inherited. Our challenge is all the things we create, we create from the things he gives us to begin with. We cannot create something from nothing as can our Lord and Savior. We've developed cures 
to diseases. We've split atoms. We've developed supercomputers that fit into our pockets. They're tiny little things. We've created satellites that can literally read newspapers from outer space. It is insane what we have done, yet no matter how hard man tries, man will never, ever, ever by themselves be able to control the tongue. Education can't do it. Waking up one morning and turning over a new leaf can't do it. Only the supernatural transformation from the Spirit of God living within us can enable us to eventually gain control over our words and allow them to be constructive and honest and loving and caring. And Christians, this is essential in our lives. We must be consistent to have a witness for Christ. Our words play a huge role in that. We must demonstrate a genuine faith for others to see. And they see that in two ways. They see that and they hear that from our mouths as well. If this is a struggle in your life, believers, then today is the day to repent of that sin, offer your words up to Christ, and allow Him to redeem your tongue because He alone can do that. But if you're listening today and you've never made a decision for Christ, then there's probably something you're not aware of. The role that your tongue plays in salvation. Paul writes of it in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess, if you're not a believer yet in Christ, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is with one's heart that one believes and is justified, and it is with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. Will you confess today with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord? We're praying for this. And all these weeks that we've been meeting online like this, we pray each and every week that somebody hears the good news of Jesus, maybe for the first time, and the Spirit gets a hold of them and convicts them and does that exact thing. They believe in their heart and they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. God moves you to do that today, please share that with us. Let us know. Yes, there's a button here, but it's much, much more than a button. It's the beginning of an eternal relationship, and we want to help walk you through that relationship. So please follow up with us. Pray with us right now. Father God, um, as we bring the words of James into out, into the entire world, has the potential of hearing these words maybe for the first time. For those of us that are believers and struggle with our language, I pray that today is the day that James's words moved by the Spirit into their lives and began to take over their tongue. Convict them of their sinful behavior. Convict them of the witness that they are losing because of their tongues. And Father, moves to restore them into a position with you where their words can be redeemed and used to seek and save the lost. And Father, if there's those that are listening that have never, ever accepted the word of Christ before, never accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, then I pray today is the day that they use their tongue for the first time ever to confess that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. And we will rejoice with the angels in heaven at that decision. Father, we love you. And we thank you for this time together. Today, in response to that life that Jesus gave for us, we like to take time every time we gather to remember the sacrifice we, he made. So if you have those emblems with you, 
a form of, of bread of some kind or a cracker if you've got it at home and juice if you have it available to remember the sacrifice he made for us where he took that bread and he broke it. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember my broken body that was broken for you. And as we partake together, that cup that he shared with his disciples, and he, he showed it to them and said, Hey guys, from now on, when you drink this cup, remember my blood that is shed for you. Father, we can never thank you enough for your broken body and your shed blood that you willingly offered up for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be saved. Father, it's through this sacrifice that it is possible for you to come into us and, and, and guard our tongues. Protect us, Father, from speaking words of evil and to speak only words of love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, as we close up today, we want to thank you for all of you that have been able to be generous throughout these, these weeks apart, and we look forward to that time of gathering soon, but we always want to remind you of the ways that you, you still can give. Uh, you can hit that Give button right now. It'll take you directly to our website that is online. You can go to that, that, that link. will take you right to a place where you can securely give a couple different ways. Um, you can go directly to our website as well, bccbrazil.org, and... Um, Click the Donate Now button there. Of course, you can text to give. That's a really easy way to do it um, as well. That number is right there on your screen. Or you can continue to, to send checks in, mail checks in. Uh, that's That works perfectly well. Um, gives Jerry uh, something to do. <laughs> Jerry and Kathy on Monday, something to do. So we appreciate that as well. It's, it's been great. Uh, thank you for that faithful contribution. And, and we pray that that can continue. Um, and then... God can use that in incredible ways, as uh, not just to do what we're doing right now, but to, to continue to allow us to meet and reach out into the future. Last thing I want to do um, is remind you of two things. One, our text for next week. Again, I told you everything starts in James chapter 1 and then is reflected later on. So we'll begin in James chapter 1, 21 through 27, and then later on in chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, all tied together with the same topic. Another difficult one for sure. For us to apply. And then to remind you, we've got those slides before you right now. Our first Sunday together, Sunday, May 31st. We are all praying for awesome, awesome weather on that Sunday. Bring a, a bag chair with you. Nice comfy chair for you to set in as we uh, praise God outside on that morning. It'll be a very simple setup, but we're looking forward to our social distancing there in the yard, if you will. And uh, we're excited about that day. If the weather's bad, we'll be online. We'll remind you again between now and then. And then the next Sunday, June 7th, uh, we'll be back in the building for our first Sunday together to worship together on June 7th. And uh, we'll have that special room set aside as well for those that are high-risk individuals. Uh, you guys will be together. And uh, if that's you and you know that's you and you'll be able to use that room then, let us know. Uh, you can start letting us know right now. Email office at bccbrazil.org and I'll let Kathy know and we'll begin a list of folks to do that. Thank you for joining us today. Happy Mother's Day, mothers. We love you more than you could possibly imagine. I wore a green shirt today. There's somebody watching that knows why. We'll see y'all next week.